You've been listening to The Book of Life with Charlie Harari. Welcome to That's Life, the, the show where we finally have broken out our snowboats here in New York. Winter is upon us. Good morning, folks, and thanks for listening. I am Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, general manager here at the Nahum Siegel Network. You can find me here every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, right after Charlie and right before the live lunch, hosted by Nahum, as I hope to bring you a little entertainment, a little news, and a little relief that the life you are leading is not nearly as wacky as mine. Coming to you from the home of the Nahum Siegel Network on the beautiful Lower East Side. I'm joined by my handy-dandy partner, Avrami. What's up, Avram? How's it going? Thank God. Everything's going all right. What's up with you? Not too much. How was the commute? It was, uh, the beginning of it was good. Well, actually, no, the bus came about 45 minutes late, so I got in late today. Um, which means, what, 3.45 in the morning? No, which actually, instead of being in at 5, we got in at, at 6. Oy vey. So that's not good. So I, by the time I got down here, I missed my minion, which oh, is obviously not good, right? Right, that is not good. And then, uh, so the the most of the trip was fine, I guess, till we got a little bit outside Philly and whatever was good. And then somebody started snoring a lot. No. A lot, a aye, lot, a lot, a lot. Aye, and then it was hard aye, to sleep. And aye. then the guy behind the guy that was snoring sneezed a couple times, and then for a while he was sniffling. So oh. it was snoring and sniffling and snoring, and I was just like, I was losing my mind. I was like, you know what? Let me take a lesson from the uh, sleeper subway guy. And so I open up my bag. I open up my bag and I share with Sniffle Guy tissues, hey. which I do actually. Like I'm in shul or something other times and I hear people sniffling because I know when I'm sniffling and you're davening and you're doing other stuff and you just cannot concentrate and it's just horrible. So I share my tissues and uh, I think that helped. And uh, so good Samaritan. And you eventually the guy stopped snoring and whatever, but then I was here already. So, so God um, rewarded you by making the snorer stop, but... Not in time for you to get a good schnooze. Well, you know, it is what it is. I'm sorry. All right. Well, I would say that that counts, by the way, as our crazy commuter moment for the morning because I drove in this morning. So nothing exactly happened except for the fact that I drove my friend in this morning. And It's probably better that way when you're driving if nothing crazy happens. Yeah. I mean, I did almost get into an accident, but I was trying not to talk about it on the air because, you know, Stephen listens. But that's another story for another day. If you are a new listener to the show, thank you for taking a break from your day to tune in. And if you are a returning listener, thanks as always for making us part of your day. If Miriam Alalik once a week is just not enough for you, do what Leah Klein does. It's my Miami friend. May, uh, friend me on Facebook. Send me an invite on LinkedIn. You can also shoot me an email, miriam at nachumsegel.com. I will not respond to you during the show. I'm not being rude. I am being honest, but I will get back to you afterwards. Please also follow us on Twitter, nachumsegelnet, all one word, and Miriam Alalik, also one word. By the way, you know, because we've been prom- what was that? We've been promoting it up to yin-yang, and for good reason. Naomi is hosting a crazy supersized show tomorrow. Uh, that's tomorrow morning from 9 to 10.30 at AHC Appliances, 530 Central Avenue in Cedarhurst. You can either listen or watch us live on the web on NahumSiegel.com. We will be you streaming the entire 90 minutes on our website. You can watch everything going on. There are cooking demonstrations. There are giveaways. There are tastings. There are raffles. And, of course, there's Naomi, and, my God, she really is just that cute. So that's tomorrow morning from 9 to 10.30, and please feel free to come down. Please feel free to join us at AHC Appliances. We thank Sandy and everyone at AHC for their uh, hospitality, for being wonderful partners with us. We really appreciate it. 5.30 Central Avenue in Cedarhurst. By the way, I can tell you personally, I've gotten all my appliances there, and they really stand by their products. They are 
They are a pleasure. Let's go to our favorite segment. What is the fortune cookie saying? Again, my thanks to Judy Hertzfeld. She is, by the way, of Ram. She's like the fortune cookie fairy because every time I think I'm low, another little box comes. And at this point, I think she makes them in her basement. So Judy Hertzfeld is now going to be known as Confucius. There's the noise. Let's see what we got. And by the way, key job, Judy, because they all came whole, which, of course, is a rule here at That's Life. All right, our fortune for the day. If you're feeling down, try throwing yourself into your work. All right, well. That's what I do. Yeah, exactly. We do that here every day. So. Also, just for a second, can I give a, a shout-out to listener Chaim in Baltimore? Yeah. Because he, uh, he got on my Good morning, he, Chaim. He told me I should stop quetching. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you're having a great day down there. Yeah, you're, uh, so evidently you're Debbie Downer? Is that the problem? I don't know. I guess so. I guess no, this morning. Oh, Johnny. No, I'm really going? okay about it. I just wanted to share the story. So. Oh, so he thinks you're a bit of a fetch. <laughs> All right. Sorry to hear that. All right. But Chaim, thanks for that feedback. We appreciate it. And um, Avrami's going to now throw himself into his work because evidently he is down. Let's go through the national holidays for the day. It's International Girls Day. It's Loosen Up and Lighten Up Day. Avram, we're going to have to figure out some way to celebrate that. It's National American Teddy Bear Day. So my shout out then goes to Joan Ehrlich, who is the biggest lover of teddy bears I've ever met in my entire life. National Pickle Day, I'm not celebrating that one at all. It is the Spirit of NSA Day, which does not stand for what you think it does. <laughs> it's the National Speakers Association. Yeah, who knew that they had a day? It's also World Diabetes Day. By the way, there's a great post, um, I think that Mayor Furtick posted, where he brought up, um, it, might be, uh, it might be a Times of Israel blog, actually, where somebody talks about being a Jewish diabetic. It's it is a serious situation. So if you are a fam- come from a family of diabetics or you may have diabetic tendencies yourself, it is definitely something to be aware of. My first guest is actually in the studio, and I don't want to keep him waiting because we try not to do that around here. And because there's so much going on at Hode um, that it definitely is important that we get moving here, the Halakhic Organ Donor Society. Robbie Berman is the founder and director of HODE. He has an MPA from the Harvard, Kinetic, Harvard Kennedy School of Government, an MBA from Baruch College, and a BA from Yeshiva University in Economics. He's also a graduate of Gross and Yeshiva Kotel. Mr. Berman has been a social activist for many Jewish causes, was a freelance journalist published in New York Magazine, the Jewish, the Jewish Week, the Jerusalem Post, Moment Magazine, and the Jerusalem Report. He is the founder and director of the Halakhic Organ Donor Society, and he joins us this morning. Good morning, Robbie. Boker Tov. Hey, that was good. Boker Tov, Vietnam. How are you? <laughs> that was authentic. <laughs> that was nice. Yeah, Adrian Cronauer, by there the way. You, there you go. I know. For those people who don't know what we're referencing, you really need to go uh, on Netflix and watch a little Robin Williams, that's for sure. Why was Adrian Cronauer? That was his name. Oh, uh, that was his name. Oh, okay. Yeah. I forgot. I forgot his name. I think I just, you I just... need to go on Netflix and watch that again. <laughs> I think that, that... Uh, that that's too much Bittel Torah for me. Oh, okay. Well, then I'll do it for you and I'll tell you what happened. <laughs> National Organ Sabbath Month. Yes. Is this Shabbat? It encourages people to sign up to be organ donors. Right. Well, actually, it's the whole month of November. Okay. That many religious groups have reasons why they don't want to donate organs and the different clergy are asked to address their community, their congregation on Saturday, on Sunday, on Friday, whenever they're congregation converges and say, you know, we support organ donation. So the Muslims, the Christians, and the Jews are asked to do that. So that's the lions, why I'm the here. tigers, the bears. Oh my. Uh-huh. And uh, I just came in from Israel where I live in Jerusalem and uh, I'll be lecturing in a shul in Springfield, New Jersey, Rabbi Marcus's shul, this coming Shabbat of Scholar Residence and uh, many of our, we have over 200 uh, Orthodox rabbis that have our organ donor card that will be lecturing from the pulpit this, oh, sometime over the period of this month to speak about the importance 
importance of organ donation and halachic support for organ donation, even though there is some controversy around it and some rabbis are against it. So let's take this, let's break it apart. First of all, it started when and why? Uh, the Halachic Organ Donor Society, HODES.org, org doesn't stand for organs, it stands for organization, uh, started uh, about 12 years ago when I was a journalist. I came across the issue that Israel was recently thrown out of the European Union of Organ Sharing. I recently came, as of 12 years ago. Right. Okay. And they're still not allowed in. Really? It wasn't because of anti-Semitism. It wasn't because of the Palestinian conflict. It was simply because it was a sharing network, and Israel never shared. Oh, Israel only took. Oh, interesting. Uh, so they said, you can't come in. If you have a surplus, give us a call. But if you never have a surplus and you always have a deficit of organs, we can't help you. You can't be part of the network. Sounds fair. Yes, it is, it is yeah. fair. 100% is fair. I mean, Israel at that time had the worst organ donor registration rate in the world. 3% as compared to America's 40%. Wow. Right? Um, and Israelis, because they're so desperate to get organs, they fly around the world and right. illegally buy organs. Right. Uh, an Israeli was arrested and convicted, arrested by the FBI and convicted just this past summer, um, in Brooklyn. Uh, by the New, Jer- New Jersey FBI, it was a sting operation, and uh, New Jersey Israelis were arrested two weeks ago in Costa Rica, uh, this week and this year in uh, South Africa and Turkey. Er- it's northern parts of uh, South America. Every year, Israelis are arrested for buying, selling, and brokering organs because Israelis are the number one is the number one country with such an incredible dearth of donors. So there's an incredible need, and they know that if you need an organ, you know you have no choice to live except to go abroad and buy it. Right. Yeah. That is a horrific reality. It is horrific. You know, there's some people out there who use really anti-Semitic languages to describe the situation. I mean, you have a guy who, uh, you have a, a, a woman out in San Francisco who really uses anti-Semitic terminology to talk about Israel, Israel having tentacles around the globe, stealing organs from Gentiles, you know. So I took her to task. And, and I, putting blood in matzah. <laughs> right. right. Okay. Well, that, well uh-huh. that, she's not exaggerating. But the right. part about the, you know. I know I was missing an ingredient. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> My matzah wondering. just doesn't taste the same as everybody else's. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um. Uh, yes, yeah, so I, while I can take her to task on the language, the choice of the words that she uses to describe the situation, clearly the facts do bear out that, uh, we have, we have a problem. We have a problem. And, uh, I think if, uh, Jews are not going to, uh, to donate organs, I, I, don't, I don't agree with that, but I respect it. But then you can't come along and say, well, I want organs. And especially when you're going ahead and breaking the law in different countries and, and buying them. Right. Okay. Well, that is that is definitely a fair point. Let's. Um. So you saw this need. You saw. So this I saw. Need. I saw the need, and when I did the research for the article, I found a bizarre fact. So I just, this started really as a research article. Uh, you were being a journalist. I was a journalist. I, I, I was popping out about three articles a week as a freelancer. Uh, the article I I wrote before that, I, I took off my yarmulke, snuck into Ramallah, I speak Arabic, and I tracked down a terrorist that was in hiding from the Israeli army. Uh, and interviewed him, and now he's in prison for four life terms. Uh, well, if he stays, who knows? But uh, Marwan Barghouti. Um, and then anyway, I wanted to write this article, and I found that a really interesting, bizarre fact, that the overwhelming majority of Israelis are secular. They're not orthodox. They're not Shomri Mitzvot. But when it comes to death, all of a sudden they say, hey, we can't donate organs because halacha doesn't allow it. So I figured, you know, they're using halacha as a skirt to hide behind, so why don't I see if I can educate them and encourage them and show them that halacha does support organ donation, and that's why I started the Halachic Organ Donor Society, HODES.org. So who's the first rub that you approached? Because I think you've got to go back. There are plenty of um, there are plenty of rabbis, as as I'm, I'm holding the brochure right now, who right. carry organ donor cards. Right. And they are some serious names right. with serious credentials and people who are real, real, um, you know, real chachamim, right. real leaders. I, I want to point community. out that we have we have 
um, dozens of Orthodox chief rabbis. Right, we I'm have looking at this. Sephardic rabbis. We have Ashkenazi rabbis. We have uh, and international. Orthodox, international. We have Orthodox right. physicians, and we also have um, women leaders. We have a yes. lot of Judy Heiklin is a scholar, and she has her organ donor card, and um, uh, t- uh, uh, Mrs. Rosen, Rebetzin Rosen, many, many uh, Dina Nyman Licht. Yeah, so, listen, you have Rabbi Mark Angel, you have yes. Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz. I mean, these are the, the chief rabbi of Norway. I mean, you have, obviously, and I'm obviously, I'm not getting to everyone. Right. You have very significant names right. who not only back what you're doing, but are putting their money where their mouth is right. and have signed up and are card-carrying members. Right. And I mean that literally. Right. So who is the first rub that you went to? So when I started the organization, only two Orthodox rabbis had organ donor cards at the time, and I went on this campaign signing up. Now we have 238. Um, I don't want to mention who was the first rabbi that signed up because then it kind of impugns and insults the rabbis who kind of took time. Unfortunately, there well, was. I, I don't know that it impugns well, them. I think well, it they... does. I'll tell you okay, why. Well. <laughs> All right. I'll I was about to you give why. you. I was about to give you an out there, but okay. <laughs> I'll share with you why. There were some rabbis who, in my opinion, didn't really act as leaders but acted as followers, and they mm. said, "Well, if you get this, 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 and this rabbi to sign up, then I'll sign up." And I'm like, "Well, why can't you sign up just based on the merits of the case and the halachic argument? Why do you need to see other rabbis?" And so some people wanted to wait till the crowd had already. Safety numbers. Yes, they wanted to wait till the crowd. Had already signed up before they signed up. So, okay, what can you do? Some rabbis are leaders and some rabbis are, shall we say, less leaders. Um, but none, nonetheless, nonetheless. Two, hundreds of Orthodox rabbis now have organ donor cards. They, most of them have beards and black hats. And it is true I did Photoshop some of the beards onto the pictures, but I felt for marketing purposes that would <laughs> you gotta be – got to do what you got to do. I'm just do. kidding. The beards are authentic. If you see the rabbi pulling the beard, you'll see him yell. Right. They are authentic beards, yes. Right, exactly. But when you pull on my shade, so please keep your hands to yourself. Exactly. <laughs> um, so let's go through some of the concerns that people have because there are definitely people who are listening who still are not believers. Right. Well, I, I think the concerns are really split into three categories. One is a misunderstanding of how one is uh, superstitions, uh, and one is um, being suspect of the medical community. Of course, as the okay, the, the, one and three I get, but I don't understand number two. Well, remind me again, what was number two? <laughs> that they that there's um, superstition involved. Yes. That what? Okay, there's a superstition. Let's start with that one. Okay. Okay. Um, obviously, you know, many Orthodox Jews believe in Tchiat Meitim, but unfortunately, they also believe. Uh, and it's kind of insulting to, to God to say this. That they're going to come back the way no, they went in? No, but oh. they, believe, they believe that the only way God could resurrect you is if you're buried with the same organ. You're buried with your organs. And if you're not, then God can't resurrect you. So they believe that God can't resurrect Israelis, Jews born, uh, cremated in the Holocaust, uh, Israelis blown up in tanks. It's kind of insulting. And it, it's a superstitious belief because there's nowhere, no way, shape, or form is there any kind of cla- source in class- classical Judaism that says you need to be buried with your organs in order to enable God to resurrect you. And in fact, it's counterfactual because your organs disintegrate in the ground. You don't have your organs for resurrection of the dead. Whenever I hear of a ridiculous superstitious belief... Can't God do what he wants to There you go. Okay, sorry. I always, whenever I hear of a ridiculous superstitious belief, I always like to take it to the next level to show how ridiculous it is. And here it's we go. It's a slippery slope, yeah. Even if you believe that somehow your organs stay in the ground with you and they don't disintegrate within two to three months and you think that somehow you have them and therefore you need them for resurrection, God resurrects you, well, you'll probably die about four seconds after resurrection because the reason why you were buried was because your organs were diseased or they were traumatized or they were too old to function. So God needs to give you new organs and rejuvenate your organs in order for you to live. He's thinking ahead. Yeah. Exactly. Right, right. Talk about advanced right. planning. Yes. He definitely has like an MPA from the Kennedy School of Government. He knows <laughs> how to do these things in the nonprofit sector as far as resurrection of the dead. Yes. So he's got it down to a science. He's got it down to a okay, science. Okay. So that's the – He so created the, science. Exactly. I mean, why shouldn't, just, uh, why shouldn't he have it down to a science? It's pretty amazing. Yes. Um, 
let's go through. Okay, so that was the superstition. So let's go through the halakhic arguments. Okay, so well, well, that, that's one of the superstitions. Um, another superstition is the belief. And again, that has no halakhic basis. There's no, nothing. There's no, no scripture. There's no, no right. There, there there's are, nothing written somewhere. There are two rabbis in the 20th century who wrote that down. Uh, there's no, there's no source in classical Jewish literature, so where do they get for that from? Either they made it up or they have a Masorah from Moshe Rabbeinu that no one else seems to have. Yeah, very right, very cool. That's <laughs> very, one very heck cool. of a connection. Right, that's yeah. Yichos, man. Amen. I want to marry into that family. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, as far as halachic uh, issues, many people misunderstand halacha. People think you're never allowed to eat pork. Well, there's a lot of dead air going on right now. Right, yeah, but okay. you are allowed to eat pork if, it, if it's Bikul Nevesh. If you're on a desert island and the only thing to eat and you're starving to death is a ham sandwich that was airlifted in, it's a mitzvah to eat the, the ham sandwich. It's, it's a clear halacha. If you're having a heart attack, Jews are typically not supposed to drive on Shabbat, but if you need to get to the hospital, you are allowed. So all these mitzvahs, all these prohibitions fall away when it comes to Bikul Nevesh, including not cutting into a dead body, uh, not getting benefit from a dead body, etc. Actually, most of the rabbis who disagree with organ donation don't disagree because of those halachic concerns. They disagree because of the brain death controversy. Right. Because there are some rabbis who believe that even though a person's brain is dead and you happen to be attached to a ventilator that gives you all the oxygen that you need for your heart to beat for three more days before it stops, uh, they believe that a beating heart is a sign of human life. So they won't allow you to donate organs. You know, that's a debate. I understand that. I actually had a case of a woman who was upset with me because she had donated her husband's organs. She was madly in love with him. He got hit by a car. Uh, they had no children. And she was at first very happy to save eight lives. But then she found out that her husband's heart went to a 30-year-old single woman. And she felt like a single woman had her husband's heart. So I said to her, you know, it's very beautiful, very emotional, very symbolic. I'm into poetry too, but let's be real here. A heart is just a uh, biological pump. And if your husband had, had in a different world, had had heart failure and given a, a mechanical pump, no one would say that your husband doesn't love you because he has a mechanical heart, right? right. Your, your emotions do not reside in the heart, even though there's many beautiful midrashim which talk about wisdom in it's the kidneys. It's very hard and to combat emotion. It is. Very it is. hard to make emotion rational. It is. We yeah. are, we are human beings. And we do. We all have emotional components to us. Yes. That must have been very difficult on both of you. Uh, it was difficult for her. I mean, I felt I felt sad for her that uh, I felt. I mean, I felt the pain. I mean, basically, what she was saying was that she just missed her husband and loves her right. husband, and now, Aww. and yeah. I mean, I, I understand it, and it's sad. But you know, I think it, it does. It does. It did in the end bring her. It brings everyone great relief knowing that on this Black Tuesday or Black Thursday, when their loved one died, that eight people's lives mm. were saved. So it's an awesome, awesome schut. And as Rabbi Riskin said, you know, what better way to go to the, uh, to go to Ribbon Shalom after you die and right. say, here I am, God, and yes, I... Even after I, death, I look did, what I did. I did. I did do this and I did do that, and I'm sorry for doing that, but the bottom line is I just saved it live, so can you please unlock those gates and let me in? <laughs> What's the most commonly donated organ? Um, kidneys. The, the biggest need really? is for kidneys. Yeah, there's, a, there's over 100,000 Americans waiting for organs and 70% of them, 70,000 waiting for kidneys. And most people think, oh, well, it's not really picoque nefesh and you can live in dialysis. No, people die on the average Absolutely. after seven years. That's, that's the average. Some people for 20, some people for two, but the average is seven years and you die of an infection. So you need to get a kidney donation as soon as possible. And that's why there's such a, uh, uh, black market out there for people, uh, selling their kidneys. Because you can live with one. Yeah. People live normal, normal life. So that's also the most commonly black marketed exchange. I don't yes, know what the right because, term yes, is. That's, yeah. that's one I'm not down with that lingo. You're not down with it? No. I'll, I'll teach you after this session. I don't know what the cool kids are saying about that. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah, so um, people buy and sell kidneys because you can live with one kidney. And actually, 
you know, when you if you were to sell part of your liver or part of your lung, uh, that has entails more of a medical risk. The risk of donating your kidney. There's two risks, right? One is the risk of the surgery, and one is the risk of living with one kidney. So living with one kidney, we know you can live to 120. There as long people, as nothing goes wrong with that one. Right. Exactly. There, there are people who live to 120 with one kidney. It's not a problem. Uh, in fact, people who've donated their kidney, you know, 50 years ago, are still alive today, uh, alive and kicking, and there's no problem. The risk of don of the surgery, of donating your kidney. It's 0.03% mortality, which is 3 in 10,000, which means you have a greater risk of dying. On the Van Wick. <laughs> in a sure. car accident. Having a tummy tuck surgery or giving birth than well, you I'm do. I'm taking that off my to-do <laughs> And I don't mean the giving birth part. Been there. Well, that's because you're on radio, so you have no need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. As I like to say, I have a face made for radio. There's, um, There are still a number of concerns. I mean, even with the, med- the progress that has been made medically and in, in the medical world in terms of the risk to the donor, that risk is significantly less than it was when you started 12 years ago. Um, yeah, not so much. I mean, 30 really? years ago. Yeah, it's really, it's been really, really good. It's very, very low risk to donate your kidney. So in the last 12 years, there, are, there isn't a tremendous amount of progress. I mean, even when I no, think. No, it's been so amazing 12 years ago as it so, is but, today. So there's, so it's as, it's, it's almost as good as it's ever going to be. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. I don't think I appreciated that. That, no. that even, that this is already, I don't want to say seamless because there are too many puns and I think I'd also be, be, um, Almost mocking you, you would, the enormity. If you would say that, you would have me in stitches. No, hey. Um, exactly. Rimshot. Um, we'd be mocking the enormity of a donation like <clears> this, <throat> of a, um, of an act such as this by right. saying that, that, that it was minimal. Right. Um, how does somebody sign up? Let's talk specifically you, about this month mm-hmm. and about somebody who has signed up. Cause very honestly, uh, I have not signed up and it's not because I don't want to. And it's not because my husband doesn't, ah, so this, my hus- husband doesn't what? what no, you my husband doesn't know my wishes, 100%. Oh, okay. I, I, thought have you, a- I thought you were going to say something No, else. no, 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 <laughs> not in a million years. First of all, my husband, thank God, in general, is incredibly supportive. As crazy as I may be some days, he's incredibly supportive. But just a couple of weeks ago, I had to sign a healthcare proxy, and I looked at him, I said, you know what to do. And the answer was yes. Now, here's a, here's a here, I guess I have two questions. Number one, how does somebody sign up? And number two, let's say you're me. And your husband knows what your wishes are. but you, I'm married to Stephen? Well, that's strange, and I don't know how that happened. But anyway, um, let's say I have I don't have a card. I'm not a card-carrying member because I just never got around to it. Something, unfortunately, happens when I'm crossing the street. Right. Heaven forbid. What happens? Can he still fulfill my wishes? Right. So first, to answer your first question, first, you get a card by going to www.hods.org, halachicorgandonorsociety.org, and you can see if your rabbi has an organ donor card, and you can register online. If you're 22 and below, it's for free. If you're 23 and above, it costs $18, and that helps us advertise. Um, and you have to be how old to get a card in the first place? Uh, it's not a legal document, so you can be 15. It doesn't really matter. Oh, yeah. okay. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. And to answer your second question, whether you have a card or not, your family ultimately makes a decision. You could have a card and your family That's also says, so interesting. Yeah. But they don't want to go through with it. They don't want to go through with it. It's very rare. It happened in Israel last year with a case, a famous case of Avi Cohen. But, uh, in general, when a family, even a family that feels uncomfortable with organ donation, if they see that you had an organ donor card, most likely they will say yes and acquiesce to your last wish because you wanted to save lives. Uh, and if you don't have an organ donor card, then they will allow you to go ahead and, uh, the family to say yes to organ donation. So it's really very important to have what we call in the industry the conversation. Mm. Look, it's a great, you know, I, when I lecture in seminaries, 
missionaries and yeshivot in Israel, I tell them, you know, why don't you send an email to your parents and ask them, instead of having a regular email correspondence and telling them how much you don't like the food, right. have a real conversation and say, hey, do you have an organ donor card? And if not, why not? And there was a woman, a young woman in seminary three years ago who got a, a, an infection in Israel, and she had suffered from massive and complete uh, liver failure, and she needed an immediate liver transplant. So I said, if you got an infection here in Israel and needed a liver transplant, would your parents want you to get a liver here in Israel? I would assume the answer is yes. So then, you know, do you not have an organ donor card? And the answer is, question is why? So this is a... These are the issues that come up concerning concerning organ donation. How young is the youngest group you've ever spoken to about something like this? Because it's obviously it's a very heavy topic, and I would imagine as a parent that in probably the youngest group is probably minus three months old. I once lectured there's a woman who was pregnant, and uh, she was six months pregnant, so I guess minus three. Okay. Well, how about speaking parts? Oh, right. People who are people, people who actually are, can hear exactly. And, oh, uh, I, I probably like tenth grade. Really? Yeah, 10th that grade high young. schools, yeah. So my daughter... You know, it's funny you say that, that young, because we've done the research, we've done surveys, and I remember when I grew up and I went to Hafter, actually it was in Hillel at that time, I heard in fifth grade that Jews can't donate organs. So we, you know, the principals tell me, oh yeah, it's not the appropriate time to talk about it in fifth grade. Well, yeah, well, your rabbis and your teachers are talking about it in fifth grade, so if they're going to talk about it and prohibit it and say it's forbidden, then maybe we should talk about it and advocate it and, and elucidate and clarify. That's the problem, that people think, oh, we should talk about this when kids are 18 or in college, but unfortunately they hear about it at a much, much younger age. Well, I think that for me, knowing that I have a 10th grader and having a very serious conversation with her about something like this, not that I would ever shy away from a serious conversation. That's not the case. But it, it it's a very scary moment, forget from the child, but also as the parent, to think of that the mortality. Yeah, no one and that the, that. And, the, and unfortunately, the, the lack of immortality of your children and yourself and, right, and, right. and your loved ones. And that, to me, I mean, if my daughter came home today and... God knows, I, I, I hope she's paying attention in class right now, but if she's listening in and she comes home today and says to me, you know, Mommy, we should really talk about this, um, I will give her, obviously, the time and, and we will have a very serious conversation, but I will do it with an incredibly heavy heart as that parent. Yes, I mean, that's one of the issues that we face. It's almost like life insurance. Uh, no one wants to really talk about their Nobody ultimately wants to talk demise. About and then if they wait till they get to the hospital and they find out their loved one is brain dead, uh, which is when you can become an organ donor, it's really too late at that point to talk about uh, organ donation. H-O-D-S dot org. It is the Halachic Organ Donor Society. That's H-O-D-S dot org. You can email Robbie di- directly. It's Robbie Berman at H-O-D-S dot org for more info on National Organ Sabbath Month or... On this on this coming Shabbos, when you will be in New Jersey, Springfield, New Jersey, Springfield, New Jersey, the home of Homer Simpson. Is that Homer Simpson? Is that it's Springfield, Illinois. Oh, Springfield. I don't think it was ever it's, clarified. What'd you say? They never. They specified. never specified. One, really? One of the greatest. Um, mysteries. See, this is why we keep up Rami around because he's here for all Simpson <laughs> information and for our crazy commuting <laughs> stories. You can also have Robbie come speak directly to your community or to your shul or to your school. Robbie Berman at hods dot org. You can follow them on Twitter. It's at hods. Society. Like us on Facebook. <laughs> like right. us on Facebook. Yeah. Also, you can like them on Facebook. Absolutely. And you can also find information about all the upcoming events, correct? Yes. And you can also see videos of like Rev. David Feinstein talking about Rev. Moshe's position on organ donation and brain death. Um, you can see uh, a, a number of incredible videos that we spent a long time uh, trying to gather um, and and create. So I recommend that everyone go to hodes.org and look at the videos and see if there are rabbis that you respect who have organ donor cards from the Hodes Society. Now, very quickly, just tell me what the HOD Society race is on March 2nd. Uh, March 2nd, we have a 5K race. It's our third year in a row. We have hundreds of people. It's become a little bit like a singles event. A lot of single people come. Families come, too, with kids. We have people in wheelchairs that come, and we're giving away 10 
iPhones, 5S, the latest iPhones, and a free round-trip ticket to Israel, and you don't even have to win the race in order to win these things. And you it's can, in Central Park. It's in Central Park, a five, 5K race in Central Park. It'll be the first year that I will be running hey. in the race. Yes. And, and a, you know, by the way, folks, it's not warm in March in Central no, Park. it is cold, but <laughs> we are now... That's why the, that date was available. Right, right. That's the only date that's available, but we are spending this year, we're going all out, we're hiring, uh, we're, we're bringing in huge tents with heaters, and we're getting catering, nice. hot coffee, hot food, breakfast... See? We're going all out because people support us and are so nice to the Hood Society. It costs $100 to run in the race. If you tell me there's sponge cake and herring, I'm in. I'm just telling you right now. It's herring? About, uh, I you, don't know about herring. Sponge cake we might be able to do for right. you. Right. You, you need to think about what's going to get certain people to get there, and that would be what it takes for me to get there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it will be running after you eat the herring. Uh, that's what you think. I'm a pretty good runner on herring. Anyway, <laughs> Robbie, thank you so much. Robbie Berman, the founder and director of Hode. You can reach them again, H-O-D-S. Org. Continued Hatzalcha. I hope you'll come back. Yes, thank you very much for having me. Absolutely my pleasure. You've been listening to That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network, and we are joined by our second guest. Second week in a row, we are ripped from the headlines. And this one comes from the Times of Israel, brought to us by Elchanan Miller, who broke the story on the biggest children's book publisher who erased Israel from the map. Good morning. Oh, so I should say good afternoon to you, Elchanan. Uh, good morning to you guys. Yeah, it is early evening here in Jerusalem. Yes, thank you very much. I appreciate you um, you being on with us so quickly. The story broke yesterday, and to say it was hot is an understatement. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it was a very uh, widely read story, and yeah. uh, not surprisingly, I, I should say. No, definitely not. And for those people who didn't get to read the article, I will just give you the, the, the synopsis, which is that the Jewish state was absent from a map in an Egypt-based adventure book for kids that was published by Scholastic. And now Scholastic promises to stop the book's shipment and stop production until the correction is made. So tell me how you found out about this in the first place. It's funny. I was having a Friday night dinner with my cousin last uh, Friday night. And as I was about to leave to come home, she showed me this uh, children's book that she was reading to her 7-year-old son, reading with her 7-year-old son. And uh, she showed me the map in the second page of the book. And surprisingly, on the area where Israel was supposed to be, Jordan was completely covering that whole geographic area. And we kind of both decided that that's probably a good thing to write about. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that that was going to be something that would spark interest. Were you able to reach anybody at Scholastic to speak to them directly? Um, initially, I sent an email to one of the, uh, the spokespeople in their media center. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a response initially, but again, this was the weekend, so it took a few days, plus there's the time difference with Israel. Um, eventually, um, I got a very short comment from their vice president for uh, communications telling me that uh, they'll get back to me. Their uh, production person was on a flight. It wasn't a conclusive answer um, or an apology. The apology came uh, about 12 hours after that. But I didn't speak to them on the phone. It was all email correspondence. Got it. It's it's pretty amazing to me if you think about what it takes to produce a book, to publish a book, how many sets of eyes it goes through, how many people vet it, how many people go through the concept, how many people look at the storyboards. And to think that nobody thought that this was a red flag, and I do mean red flag both literally and figuratively because Jordan in this case is in red. Um, right. But but seriously, how, how does uh, it just makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, I actually did have a follow-up conversation today following the publication with um, an intern at the editorial department of Scholastic. She was working there until July this year. Um, and I got a few more details about uh, the editorial process, which I'm going to publish 
in probably a few hours. <laughs> so you're getting a scoop here. But uh I love scoops. Tell me more. Um basically uh the story was written in Italy originally and translated into English. And I was told that there were at least uh, probably three to four to five um, copy editors and editors at Scholastic in New York who review the book in English before it gets printed. So certainly a few eyes saw that book before it went out. Right. Um, why they didn't uh, catch it is a different question, which I'm not sure uh, I have the answer to. Um, the, the simple answer is probably that the... Copy editors and editors at Scholastic are underpaid interns, mm. usually students who don't have tools or the knowledge necessarily to catch mistakes like this. Wow! That's probably the, the the sum, you know, the bottom line. Well, you know, there's a good there's a good old saying that says you get what you pay for, and I imagine yeah. that they are going to be completely learning from their mistakes. Um, that's also by the, by the way very disappointing to think about. All the books that are that I own that have been published by Scholastic, and to think about their um, shoddy editorial process, I mean that's that's pretty disappointing. I have to be honest, but that's also not your problem or my problem. When you, were you surprised to hear that that's just how things go at Scholastic? I was surprised. I have to admit that as someone who grew who was born and grew up in Israel, I wasn't as exposed to Scholastic's books. Um, but my cousin's husband, the cousin who told me about this. Um, was a principal in a day school in Toronto before making Aliyah to Israel last year. And he told me how huge Scholastic is in right. North America, um, what a presence they have in schools with book fairs, book clubs. Exactly. Um, I know that they have exclusive rights over Harry Potter and other popular book series in the States. So clearly, this is a standard that I don't think people would accept from such a big, uh, well-known publisher. No, absolutely. And the truth of the matter is, is that um, now that you mentioned the book fairs, I mean, there is, it, it's a, it's a chavaya, it is a happening in every school when the Scholastic Book Fair comes to your school and you are able to walk through the book fair with your kids and pick different um, publications and obviously the, the money that is raised either goes to the school's PTA or whatever it is, but it's part of what's done and it's often done by schools in advance of Hanukkah so that kids can get books as one of their Hanukkah presents or their Hanukkah present. And I know that there have been a number of cancellation of scholastic book fairs by yeshivas across the, um, the uh, United States as a protest to the publication of this book. That's very interesting. I think it's um, it's pretty um, impressive and, and, and remarkable to see how quickly um, this article, you know, what an effect journalism has, and, and specifically this article on, you know, commercial companies and how fast, uh, you know, consumers can voice their um, their protest. Scholastic put a small apology on their blog yesterday, and there were some pretty annoyed um, readers' comments I saw. <laughs> um, Welcome to dealing guess, with the um, Jewish people, Scholastic. To further clarify. Um, as this story grows, maybe a little bit, they'll probably have to give some more explanations to their customers about how this happened and how it might be prevented in the future. I actually spoke to a friend of mine who's the president of a Hebrew academy in um, in the United States, and she said that they did cancel their book fair, that they read the apology, and they were not impressed, and it was not enough. And even though the book was being pulled from the shelves and that it was not being produced anymore until the changes necessarily changes were made, etc., it was not enough of an apology um, in order to allow them to either continue or reinstate the book fair that they had canceled. 
Um, I think, uh, to be accurate, I don't think Scholastic said they were pulling the book from the shelf. I think they said they were stopping shipment. Oh, okay, sorry. So the books that were about to go out won't, but I don't think that the books that are in the stores are going to be pulled, as far as I understand. Oh, okay, well, I, I definitely appreciate you um, you clarifying that. Tell me also, you know, I thought it was very interesting that the end of your piece mentions the um, the recent study that's carried out by Israeli and Palestinian researchers that found that 96% of Palestinian school textbooks do not mention Israel by name in their maps. And similarly, 87% of Israeli school textbooks do not designate the Palestinian territories by name. And and we know that so much is taught within the classrooms and so much much emphasis is placed on the importance of textbooks. I think also that with the fact that this children's book um, is it, well, I should ask you, do you think that the fact that this children's book is, is juxtaposed with these other stories is what, um, also made it so popular so quickly? I think that people in Israel and the Jews around the world are sensitive to Israel's portrayal and to Israel's existence because there are, uh, countries and societies, as we know, that, um, don't acknowledge Israel's existence or they would like to strike it from the map whether physically or, or you know, uh, through geography and through geography books. Um, so I think, I think Jews and Israelis are sensitive to the issue, and that's probably what made this story um, go so viral in the last uh, day or so. Um, I think the geography is very important. It's very symbolic. I think that acknowledgement of other societies is something that is often done through first, firstly acknowledging them on a map, and that's where it begins to first physically see that the country exists, and then, you know, sparks a kid's curiosity about who who lives there, what exactly they do. And it's pretty, um, I'd say it's pretty disappointing, because the specific book that this map was in was all about the history of ancient Egypt. Right. It's an educational book, essentially. And it, and it goes into great detail about the, you know, the ancient kings of Egypt and the archaeology and history of Egypt. So it's a bit disappointing, I have to say, to uh, see that in the modern map, where Libya exists and where Sudan is marked clearly in Saudi Arabia, that the children who are reading this book can't see Israel as part of the modern Middle East. Did you? That's, that's pretty disappointing. I, I, I hear that completely. I, 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 it reminds me of a couple of blog posts that I read yesterday. Um, and after it hit time, after the, the, the piece was published and, and, um, it was viral pretty quickly. I mean, you have 13,000 likes on Facebook, and God knows how many people tweeted it out, I think, including me. Um, right. There's uh, – there's, I helped the IPO, by the way. Anyway, there's um, there's a question uh, by some people who have blogged about it as to whether or not these boycotts are taking the issue too far. Yes, we agree that it is um, – it's obviously uh, abhorrent and it's unacceptable, but to – especially in light of what you're saying regarding interns, et cetera, et cetera. Is it too strong of a move? Um, I don't think I'm in a position to judge um, or, to, or to tell consumers what to do with the information that I give. My, my job as a journalist is to put out the information as accurately as I can. And I'm not an American either, so it's not really for me to do a consumer boycott as much as it is for Americans, I think. Um, as I, as I mentioned in the article, and as, and as uh, Scholastic said, the, the error with the map probably originated in Italy, in the original book, and not in the United States. On Scholastic's part, it's probably an oversight. Um, now, that information is out there, um, and whatever consumers decide to do with that information, I guess, is their, is their choice. 
all I can say, really. No, I think I, I think it's interesting. You know, the person who blogged about it that I'm referring to also says that the map is missing Syria and Lebanon, and he wonders if they're boycotting also. You know, it's it's funny. We're not taking on the plight of the Syrian uh, the Syrians and the Lebanese and saying, my God, their statehood should be declared also. But obviously, you're right that the statehood of Israel and the recognition of Israel on a map and in something as um as important as a children's book as an educational children's book is not something that should be either undermined or 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 belittled or or anything like that are you expecting a a full apology from scholastic at some point um let me just uh, say something about the comment of that blog post you just mentioned sure. to be accurate um the map portrays the countries that are neighboring egypt meaning the exact uh vicinity of egypt so syria and lebanon are geographically on the area covered in that map Israel is. Israel is one of the countries neighboring Egypt. So the fact that Lebanon and Syria aren't there aren't as, you know, troubling as the fact that Israel isn't. That's just a comment to that, you know, right. to, to that to that thing. Um, I think that Scholastic said that they were expressing regret. Um, I think more than an apology, Scholastic probably has to explain to its customers how, the, how exactly the, the mistake happened and what it'll be doing to prevent similar mistakes from happening again. I think that's the bottom line. I think the apology in and of itself is less significant than actually rectifying it for the for the future, you know, books that they publish. And you know, by the way, that there's now going to be a run on this book because everyone's going to want the copy before it's corrected because then they're <laughs> going to sell it on eBay because, hey, <laughs> that is the American way. Anyway, Elkhanan Miller, I look forward to reading um, and tweeting out your latest piece that will come out later today, correct? Uh, I hope it'll be later today. It'll be soon, in any case. Excellent. It'll be soon, and we're looking forward to hearing. I'm still waiting for Scholastic's comments on my uh, on my article. I sent them a few questions, and hopefully, it'll get back to me soon. Well, I'm sure that they that they um, you have definitely put Times of Israel on their map, and I mean that both <laughs> literally and figuratively. Call a kavod to you for bringing this um, to light. I do think it's a very important issue, and you should know that a number of people had sent me the article, making sure that I had seen it, and I was able to proudly comment that you were already joining me on the air, so I was really happy. But you should just know that um, that for good reason, this story got a tremendous amount of traction very quickly. So, Kola Kavod. Okay, thank you so much. My pleasure. Elhanan Miller from Times of Israel, thank you so much for joining us. And thanks for having me. My pleasure. Bye-bye. You've been listening to That's Live here on the Nachum Siegel Network, and we are going to take a bit of a switch um, and we are going to make a bit of a turn in talking about this next topic. And not because it's so off kilter, it's just not something we usually cover. Joel Glazer, who's both an author and a historian, has been teaching history for how long? Over 50 years. Over 50 years. Can, is it fair to say that you're also a lover of everything history? You could say that, and you did. <laughs> there you go. And I did. I asked Joel to join me on the air. Joel, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. No problem. I asked Joel to join me on the air today, by the way, at the recommendation of Mayor Fertig, whose daughter very, very much enjoys your class. And he said to me, if you're looking to find somebody who can really speak about history with excitement and from the heart, he's your guy. So you came with great credentials besides your own. Um, the Gettysburg Address is the is experiencing, or not literally, but we will be celebrating the 150th anniversary of the Gettysburg Address next week. And producer and director or I should say filmmaker, Ken Burns, who's been making documentary for 30 years, has now made a documentary called The Address. And he is calling for a, um, a, a, a classrooms around America to encourage, and for lack of a better word, force 
kids to memorize the Gettysburg Address in recognition of the 150th anniversary. Now, I can tell you, Joel, that a couple of years ago, when I was in third grade, I was also forced to memorize the Gettysburg Address. And I can recite most of it by heart still today, even though, as, of course, I'm being funny, third grade was a couple of years ago. But tell me something. As a person who lives and breathes history, is there something to still making kids, to hearing what Ken Burns is saying, and to making kids memorize the Gettysburg Address? I think there are a lot of things in in history that could be memorized. For example, the preamble to the Constitution. I remember at one point when I was teaching, I had students memorize the preamble to the Constitution. They also had to memorize all the presidents of the United States in order and the dates of their presidency. Okay. The question of priorities and what works at what particular time in history. Ironically, this particular week or two, there are a confluence of events. We have Hanukkah and Thanksgiving at the same time, which is extremely rare. In addition to that, we have the 50th anniversary of the death of uh, John F. Kennedy, Mm. November 22nd, uh, which is soon after the Gettysburg Address. When Lincoln wrote the address, he had his own personal issues because he had four sons, uh, three of whom passed away before they reached adulthood. And one was quite ill as he was riding to Gettysburg. When he got to Gettysburg, um, he had written out the address on a I guess, piece of paper because the address ran less than 300 words. Right. And it took uh, less than a few minutes to speak. The person who preceded him spoke for two hours, Hmm. Edward Everett. He was a well-known orator of the time. And after he heard Lincoln, he said, you said in a few minutes what took me two hours. Wow. Lincoln's speech uh, was not received well in the United States when he first delivered it. People were not overly impressed. However, when the speech went around the world, and remember, this is before... uh, Computers, uh, when it went around the world, the countries all over the world were really excited about the speech. And at, at that point, it began to be extremely popular and extremely uh, gratifying, I guess, to Lincoln himself. Uh, remember, this is 1863, and the United States is in the midst of a civil war, and the Gettysburg, the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, there were 50,000 casualties in three days. Uh, two, the two sides put on the battlefield, well, one side put on, I think, 93,000, the other side, 70,000. And there were thousands who died. Right. Consequently, the, the feeling was this was uh, not just catastrophic in terms of, uh, in terms of casualties, but catastrophic because it meant the war was going to continue because General Meade, who had a great opportunity to capture Lee, didn't get him. Lee was able to escape uh, on July 4th and uh, continue to fight. At that point, had Meade caught Lee, it's conceivable the war might have ended at that point. And that would have made the the address less potent? It might have made it more potent because the, uh, the battle had taken place and uh, the address could still have been given because it was dedicated as a, uh, as a battlefield right. cemetery. 
Uh, in terms of having kids memorize it, I, I have no problem with that. I don't know whether uh, we could make certain things necessary because a lot of people have their own interests of what is necessary and what is important to know and what is important to memorize. And if we were to respond to everyone, we could have a serious problem. Well, I, I yeah. definitely I definitely agree with that. I just want to read a part of what Ken's, Ken Burns wrote um, on CNN.com in, in, in a piece entitled Learn Lincoln's Words by Heart. And he writes, within his famous address, he stated, the world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. Yet a century and a half later, we still honor those sacred words he spoke on the battlefield in Pennsylvania as some of the most important words ever spoken. It is my hope that Americans across our great nation will take this occasion to look deeper into the history and legacy of the Gettysburg Address and the great sacrifices for freedom Lincoln honored in the midst of the Civil War. So in terms of that, I, I, I mean, once he, with that phraseology, not that I'm not that I, I would ever say that people don't appreciate the Gettysburg Address without Ken Burns um, beautiful description as to the enormity of the speech. But maybe there is something. I mean, it's pretty old school. You'd agree with me. It's pretty old school to make kids memorize a complete text. It's just not necessarily done anymore. I mean, obviously that there are things within halacha and within Judaism that we should all know by heart. But the Gettysburg Address memorizing it seems very 1982 so is is if we're looking at yeah not we can't memorize and i agree with you we can't memorize everything that everybody agrees to to memorize and i don't know if i could ever remember the entire preamble if i even tried but we're talking about less than 300 words and something that took two minutes to read are, are we are should we as a people as an american people and 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 there are there are there's nothing to minimize the obvious impact that the Civil War had on the rest of our history and continues to. Should we take the time to have our kids memorize the address? I don't know. I think um, perhaps if we had it read, you know, the um, the kings of Israel had to have the Torah with them at all times. And once a year, they were supposed to read it aloud. Uh, for the people of Israel. Perhaps this could be something done, the Gettysburg Address, for this country, that once a year it could be read and publicly and uh, on television and a moment mm. stops, that everybody hears it. I think that might have a greater That's impact a very good than idea. pure memorization. That's a very, very interesting idea. He also, I, I happen to like that idea a lot. There is that idea, not necessarily of that moment of silence, but piggybacking off of that idea and saying a moment of recognition. He says also that a great way to start uh, having a, and he means by this, by having a discussion with your kids and, and emphasizing the, the importance of the speech with your kids, is a great way to start is by simply picking up the brief speech and reading it aloud. Read it to your children, your parents, and your friends. As you read this timeless piece of oratory, engage in a discussion with those around you on what these words mean to us today. I guess my next question, Joel, is somebody who has taught. I mean, how long have you taught in Yeshiva Day School? Well, in Yeshiva itself, I think this is my 47th year. Okay, so let's just say you've had some experience. Um, well, it, yeah, that's... You could say that. Exactly. So in 47 years, do you agree that Jewish kids, like any other kids in this country, need to appreciate the Gettysburg Address? If we're having this moment of recognition in, let's say, public school in PS16 in the Bronx, 
Well, this, this could be for the country, not just the yeshiva, but for the country, a unifying force. When I was, when I was growing up, we were required to hear uh, a, a, a section of the Bible every morning. And, uh, you know, the arguments went to the Supreme Court and so forth and so on, and they removed that from the morning exercise. We said the uh, salute to the flag, and we heard a section of the Bible. Uh, a few years ago, a little more than a few years ago, the Rebbe wrote a book, or a book was written about the Rebbe, and he said one of the problems uh, in the public schools is that they, they need to find something, someone, for whom they have a reverence. And I think something like the Gettysburg Address, which is not a religious uh, document of any sort, uh, could be that unifying force, that once a year that students hear that and they pause at this time of year. And it's, Ironically, it's just before Thanksgiving. Right. So it might fit. You know quite well. Well, the anniversary the anniversary of the Gettysburg Address, 150th anniversary, is one week from today. And uh, Joel, I, I really appreciate you coming on. The anniversary and... is not uh, one week from today. Oh, it's uh, it's I believe on November 19th, and today is the 14th, so that would be the 21st. You are correct. I apologize. It is next week. You are 100 percent right. Well, that's why I teach history. <laughs> Yes, you are better with dates than I am, sir. That is 100%. Joel, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for bringing it to life. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network. We have so much to talk about, and we have a great song that Avrami picked to close with. I want to make sure to get to everything. Live lunch starts with Nachum. Please God, at 11 o'clock this morning, it's on from 11 to 1, followed by Sound Advice with world-renowned author and psychologist Dr. David J. Lieberman. That's at 1 p.m. The doctor is in. Taking your calls, 212-529-4620. That's 212-529-4620. We have an encore presentation of the Stunt Show hosted by Mark Zomick. Spin class, 6 p.m. with Michael Fragan. Everything about politics in the last couple of months in one hour. You do not want to miss it. Plus, Charlie, Charlie Burnhout at 7 p.m. wrapping up the lineup. Join Nachum tomorrow morning from 6 to 9 as he hosts JM in the AM. Live here on the stream, NachumSiegel.com, JMInTheAM.org. 911, 90.9, and 91.9 FM. Also, don't miss the weekly update with Malcolm Honeline. Of course, that's tomorrow morning, sometime between 7:30, 7:35, 7:40, right after Rabbi, right after, right, right around there, right between 7:30 and 7:40. Yes, Rami, stop rolling your eyes at me. Of course, Naomi and Table for Two tomorrow morning with the supersized edition of Table for Two coming to you from AHC Appliances, 5:30 Central Avenue in Cedarhurst. That's from 9 to 10.30 a.m. Folks, if you can be there in person, come down. Enjoy it. If you can't, listen or watch us live on the web, NachumSiegel.com. The uh, event is sponsored by Fruit Platters and More Gourmet Glot Studio in AHC Appliances, Sub-Zero, Wolf, The Jewish Home, Empire, and Kedem. I mean, a, a, I mean it wholeheartedly when I thank all of our sponsors. We cannot do what we do without you. We appreciate your support. That's Michael Przanski coming up in the background. The song is called Zella Ze. Also, by the way, I know, I hope you can still hear me. I hope you can still hear me next week on Tuesday from the Levi Yitzchak Library. On Tuesday night at 6 p.m., 564 Central Avenue, we'll be recording 
The Race Against the Clock stunt show hosted by Daniel Gordon where five teams race to complete a Manischewitz Hanukkah house before their opponents do and the clocks run out. It's Gordon, it's Hagler, it's the other Gordon. Yes, Daniel's twin brother Aaron joins us as well. Plus, Mora Stacy Siegel and our very own Naomi Nachman all will be paired with school children from the five towns area who love visiting the Levi Yitzchak Library in Cedarhurst. And they will race against each other. And, of course, Daniel will tell you right now that he will win. But, hey, that's just his party line. Anyway, so you don't want to miss that. You want to be a part of that as well. That's Tuesday night at 6 p.m. Please join us. We need a studio audience. The more people, the better. You can check out our whole season of Season 2 programming on our schedule on our website, NahumSiegel.com. Click on the network schedule. My thanks to Avrami, as always, for joining me here today. My thanks to Robbie Berman. That's hodes.org, H-O-D-S dot org. Make sure to check out their information there and all information available about organ donation. And, of course, keep track of what's going on in Times of Israel. My thanks to Elhanan Miller on the story about Scholastic. And, again, to Joel Glazer, who joined us this morning about the Gettysburg Address. I leave you today again with Michael Przanski's Zelaze. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys.
You've been listening to That's Life, a program hosted by Nachum Siegel Network General Manager Miriam Alwalek. If you'd like to get in touch with Miriam, send an email to miriam at nachumsiegel.com. Coming up next on the Nachum Siegel Network, it's the Thursday Live Lunch with Nachum Siegel. This is jmtheam.org.